0: These are children. They should not be handling adult issues. They should not be worried about why your marriage is falling apart.
1: Hi, my name is Beth Anderson, and my law firm is Anderson Law PC. I'm here to talk to you about family law issues because whether it's probate, divorce, or estate planning, families take different forms. People move on and go in different directions, but the way I see it, you're not just breaking up. A lot of times you're breaking upward it can be a fresh beginning it can be a positive and I'm so excited to have Philadelphia George with me today she is a temple law grad she is a brilliant family law mind and has um a great passion for not only family law but for how it impacts children and so that's her perspective today is she's coming to talk to us about how to give children a voice in Divorce because their voices are really overlooked. But before we get started and introduce her, I want to say that in the past, children could testify in court and they would say, I want to live with mom or I want to live with dad. And when I was a criminal defense attorney, I literally had clients collapsing in court. It was so traumatic to be put in the middle like that and put on the stand quite literally and made to pick. So those days are done. Unfortunately, we don't do that anymore, but on the other hand, you do want to hear what they have to say. So um, I'm here to introduce Philadelphia George and um, have her answer that question. How do you give children a voice in divorce?
0: Hi, Beth. Thank you so much for having me today. Um, I'm really happy that we can uh, discuss how to get children's voices heard in court. Um, as you mentioned, it's a little bit more difficult now. but That's also a good reason. Um, So the best way to have your child's voice heard in court in Colorado um, is through counseling. Um, If your child sees a therapist uh, you can get you know letters or they can testify in court Um, and it's always just good to have a counselor or therapist for pretty much every single member uh, involved in the divorce. Um, The other way, and probably the most popular way, is through a child and family investigator, um, also known as a CFI. So a CFI will, you know. CFI, yeah, so child family investigator. Yeah, they will um, do some investigations, talk to um, the people involved, talk to other members that you recommend, and write a report to the court, um, which the court can or does not have to uh, follow. Um, there's also a parental, responsibi- parental responsibilities evaluator. Um, they do work just like a CFI, except uh, they can also do mental health evaluations. They are a bit more expensive, uh, but their reports are more detailed. Um, and then um, the other way, um, which would be in select cases, there's a guardian ad litem. So a guardian ad litem can um, represent the best interest of the child. So those are a couple ways of getting a child's voice heard in court.
1: So you're not just named Philadelphia, but you're from Philadelphia. You were a clerk to a judge in Philadelphia. Did you see anything different about the way it was handled in that other state compared to Colorado? Yes,
0: definitely. Um, so I was a law clerk in Philadelphia Family Court. Um, it is a whole different animal than Colorado. Um Colorado is a little bit better set up in terms of resources for families. Um, So it is different. In Philadelphia the judges actually do listen to children and they will um, start listening to a kid around the age of six years old. The judge will do a competency test to make sure a child knows like a truth from a lie and um, can express what they want without really coming up with imaginary things or lies. That is, like I said, starts at the age of six. They generally do not put the children on the stand in front of their parents or any other witnesses. They will bring them into the back um, and the judge will have a one-on-one talk with them and basically kind of be like, well, what's your routine with dad? And what's your routine with mom? What do you like to do when you're there? Is there anything you don't like to do when you're there? What do you eat? And um, so they handle it in in a much better way than just saying, who do you want to live with? Um, So I do think that it's nice, but it still can be quite traumatizing for a child.
1: That's so interesting, I didn't know that. Have you had any cases here in Colorado where the child testified? No, I I haven't. (laughs) I have heard of cases where the child testified. I don't know that I've had it. I've asked for it sometimes, especially when I was first getting into Colorado family law and I didn't quite get the lay of the land. Um, My clients would push for that. Um, But I've gone to so many trainings and heard judges say that they do it. It's usually a little bit older of a child. I guess I have had cases where the children testified maybe before I came on board. I've definitely had cases where the other side asked for it and it was denied. Um, But it was exactly like you described. It's in camera. That means like away from everyone. Um, Maybe just an empty courtroom with a judge. Maybe not wearing a robe, sitting at a table talking to young people and hearing their voice. I feel like a lot of times kids have been coached or even influenced what to say, or just, if you're in a family, you know that people can kind of tell you their point of view with just a sigh or a glance. It's very easy to kind of let someone know what you want them to do. And so sometimes I'm skeptical. But it's the same with a CFI, I suppose, that there's a weight. And then one of the most recent trainings I went to said, once a kid is 17 or so, they're gonna vote with their feet. And by that, they mean they'll probably hang out with friends or at work or just, sometimes they run away even, unfortunately. And so they get a little bit higher of a voice in Colorado than um, maybe, say, a 12-year-old even though almost all my cases they say, but this 12 year old's gifted and they're special and they should have more voice than the typical 12 year old. I'm not sure judges see it that way. Your test scores don't show that you're able to be in the middle. Um, What are some of the downsides about putting kids in the middle? Because I've had people tell me, well, tell them the whole story. The truth will set you free. Tell them the truth. What do you think about that advice?
0: Well, there's a lot of um, downsides to that. A it makes them feel like they may have to choose sides Um, and that's one of the big things so These are children. They should not be handling adult issues Um, They should not be worried about why your marriage is falling apart. They should not be worried about who cheated on who they should not be um, You know worried about who's better with money. They should be taken care of and um, They should just be kind of coddled in that area. Um, that's not to say that they should be completely blind or kept out of the fact that you know their parents are in fact separating. Um, there's definitely a balance that needs to happen. There's a, a line that needs to be walked. They, you can tell them that you're going through a divorce. That there's going to be new changes. That you know their life is not going to quite be the same as they as it once was. But you don't have to give them every facet of um, the court details. But not only that, but if there's a parent who's a little bit more burned, um, you can't tell your child that, you know, their dad or their mom is a horrible piece, you know,
1: whatever. And because that's 50% of their DNA. Exactly. That's what I was told when I went to the parenting after divorce class is um, you're insulting them when you tell them how horrible the other parent is. You're kind of telling them that half of them is that way, right? You know? And not only that,
0: but I'm sure they look up to both parents as heroes. So you're really undermining this whole idea of their parent that they've had their entire life. Um, it you know, to be flat out honest, it's incredibly selfish. And that may not be intentional. So I think you really need some really good self-reflection. And that's why I um, advocate for counseling for every single person involved in a divorce. Um, but Yes, if you're aware that you're doing it, you need to stop.
1: Well, and I agree with everything you said, and we see it in our cases, how it impacts children, even though I even don't want to meet the children because I want them to be protected from it. But um, I have a book that I recommend to our clients, which is Why Do You Have to Get a Divorce and When Can I Get a Hamster? And it really just drives it home that... Putting the child in the middle is parentifying them. It's giving them adult issues. It could be spousifying them, treating them like they're the person who's supposed to fill in for the absent parent. And they wanna focus on other things like getting a hamster, getting a job, going to school, going to prom. They don't need to try to fix their parents' problems Or sometimes they may not even be that interested in building a relationship with their parent, which is really rough. I always say if they're driving and they're around that age and they, for whatever reason, are very frustrated with one of their parents, and it could be alienation by the other parent or who knows why. could be a random reason. It may not be their first list. What do you want to do the summer before senior year? Well, for sure, I want to get to... Be better friends with my parent who I never really got along with before. It's just not top of mind for them.
0: Right, and you bring up a good uh, topic about the alienation because parental alienation is not um, a medical or mental diagnosis or issue that's recognized within the mental health field or the medical field. It's something that is very, very prevalent and mentioned though within the family court um, setting. So, um, I mean, you're messing with mental health. So, I mean, when it comes to children, you what you say, you may not realize the effect it has on them now, but you could be, you know, contributing to depression or um, you know, suicidal tendencies. Like these kids just take on so much, and especially you know, when we're still kind of getting out of a pandemic, um, where they've been cut off from their friends and family, uh, they don't really have as many resources to talk and get their feelings out. Um, so, I mean, you're really battling mental health here.
1: Yeah, I did a blog on depression in children of divorce, and I think I talked to Philadelphia about this, that I have a friend, Susan Kramer, and she is part of Resilience, which is a program for youth in Jefferson County, Colorado, where they get free counseling for everyone. And I showed her my blog, and I think she ran, well, she did run it, because she liked it, Because and it's so sad, I heard a statistic, I haven't vetted it, that the number one cause of death from children 12 to 18 in colorado is suicide like i can't emphasize enough that it's very hard on children to expose them to adult issues and it's not gonna help them you have to put your feelings aside and i'm here to tell you it is hard because you can just put that fake smile on your face but your kids can kind of see through it and you may not be fooling them, but you're telling them this is not your problem to fix. I am not your problem to fix. And um, it's not easy. It's no. really not. But you still have to try anyway. And even if you mess up, you can apologize. Hey, that probably wasn't appropriate to talk to you about that. You know, it's easy for the judges to say to be so perfect, but they don't go home and live with these children and see how hard it is to just swallow all of this pain because it's a painful process. Maybe you have financial issues, relationship issues, all sorts of issues. And the other person is not your best friend and sometimes they're out to maybe harm you, but um, the kids don't need to hear about that. And it can contribute to depression for sure. We've seen it in our cases. I can't tell you every year two or three cases we have to press pause because of a child with severe depression and hospitalization and it might be because of the divorce it might not but it's just so prevalent
0: yeah it's just it's just one more thing to tack on to what these kids already deal with
1: yeah it's just um something that You just have to love your kids more than you hate your spouse and hopefully i'm not a big fan of hate anyway someone told me you attract what you love and what you hate and i think that's a good reminder if you ever do get frustrated don't go down that path my mom pointed out that we've seen what i call alienation campaigns where a parent really tries to drive all the children against the other parent And by the way, we never talk about any of our cases here. Even I'm not going to give a fact pattern of Mm -hmm. a client. I'm going to talk compositely because I'd never want one of my clients to think I was talking about them. But it's very common to see what I would call an alienation campaign, where they're turning the kids against the other parent. And my mom pointed out to me, it's like grooming they're doing adult behaviors. I have cases where adults are smoking marijuana with kids, showing porn to very young kids, like very adult behaviors. It's so enticing. Mm -hmm. And then, oh, and by the way, isn't so-and-so this and that and turn them on the other parent. I don't know if you see things like that in your cases. I do. And I actually
0: think that's one of the biggest um, reasons why clients should shop around kind of and look at reviews on all therapists, counselors, CFIs, PREs. Um, I think you really need to make sure that the person that you are going to pay to see like help your family is someone that's equipped to notice those kind of things. So like I said, parental alienation is not recognized in the medical field. They're not taught it in mental like you know when they get their education for going into mental health. It's not brought up. So you do need to find like a counselor or a therapist or a CFI that has experience with parental alienation so that that way they can point it out and be like something fishy's going on. I feel like I'm being pointed in a specific direction by parent A and being pointed in another direction by parent B. But then the child is telling me something completely different. Um, and I think you really need, you know, a person that's going to stick to their guns on taking that kid, the kid's side, and being like, something's not right here. Um, whether there needs to be, you know, more of an investigation um, from a judge, you know, maybe that's what a, a, you know, the person needs to say. But um, I do think it's very important that you get
1: to know who's going to be involved with your family i agree for sure and also i think kids want to please their parents and so it's very common that when they're with dad they are oh mom ugh so it drives me nuts and then they go to mom and they're like eh, i don't want to go back to dad's house and they really will tell each parent what that parent they think that parent might want to hear you it might not even be what they want to hear and so you can't always count on that. I'll have clients come in. Well, they said they never want to go to their dad's house, and sometimes that makes sense. It, especially if it's something severe like severe abuse or sexual abuse. Something. Those are reasons that are very solid. But sometimes it's just maybe they don't like dad's girlfriend, or they don't. They like their bed and their desk better at mom's, or they think mom wants to hear it. And sometimes I'll say, well, what would you do if they don't want to go to school? Because it is a court order that they have to go to your dad's, you know, they have to go to their dad's house and maybe you don't have that luxury to just say, well, do whatever you want. That might not even be what's best for the child. I don't know what you think on that topic. No, I mean, I think you're absolutely right.
0: And um, I mean, since I, well, I, I worked with more judges uh, working with children in Pennsylvania or in Philadelphia, um, I will say that I do think the judges had a very good grasp on understanding what is being sent, where it's coming from. And I think a big part of that is, I think it's like se- like some crazy statistic, like 75% of the filings in Philadelphia Family Court um, end up being waived because they're on the poverty line. So um, you get almost 90 percent of your cases are all pro se litigants so there's really no rhyme or reason to uh any type of you know hearing um and i think and there's a lot of just back and forth blaming and between really the parents. quick
1: pro se means self-represented yes. they don't have attorneys so you were dealing with a population that's in poverty a lot of the time mm-hmm. they didn't have attorneys going in there they weren't Lawyering up and writing briefs and I think it was quick from what I heard the hearings were fast
0: Oh, yeah, um, it blew my mind coming here when I could get a date a hearing date in two months um, If you are filing anything for custody in Philadelphia, you are not getting in front of a judge for at least eight months
1: Wow, and um, then how long would the hearing usually be?
0: You're for a basic motion, you're pretty much getting an hour so okay. you have an entire hour to put on your entire case, and then you're really not getting in front of a judge again for almost a year. So it's difficult out there, and I think a lot of the judges kind of skipped to the skipped the bickering mm-hmm. and got straight to the point by talking to a kid. Um, and I, yeah, and I feel sense. like it yeah. went well in a lot of those situations. I didn't see every judge. I only worked with one judge. I happened to really like him and the way he handled things. Um, but um, I feel like in terms of Colorado – There's just so many resources to really get a child's voice heard. And if you're, and if you kind of skimp on not figuring, not doing your shopping in terms of who you want to talk to them, and you're not making sure that all these specific issues are being accounted for, um, I think you're kind of really depriving yourself of the outcome that you want. But yeah, kids can say, you know, I just want, you know, Mom makes me join every sport and do all honors classes, and eat that I just want to go to Dad's where I can just kind of relax and hang out with my friends. Well, you need someone that's going to be like, well, I understand where that's coming from. As a child, I would prefer to hang out with my friends, but you're doing amazing. You're going, you're not being harmed in any way. Like both mom and dad are safe places for you.
1: Yeah, that's the bottom line. Is <clears throat> if the court wouldn't get involved when you're. An intact family they may not be as appalled by some things that families are very upset about like maybe a girl might be good at something or a boy at a sport or an extracurricular and then one parent wants to pour a bunch of money in the other one might want to do a cheaper version or a parent might say they can't have time with the other parent because they're always in activities courts might not be oh wow this is why I went to law school to make sure that they have their violin lessons or their math kumon or whatever they may say you know just getting to know your parents just isn't important and you all these things are going to have to take a back seat and we're not going to have the wheels of justice screech to a halt over whether a child is in piano lessons or violin lessons or soccer or volleyball and we're not going to necessarily take them away from a parent who isn't as supportive or pushes harder it's just um one of my clients said if something happened and a parent died, they would just go to the other parent usually. Mm-hmm. So the courts might not see it the way you do that, oh, this is appalling, you need to have them all the time. On the other hand, there are factors for the best interests of the child, and courts will take those seriously. Like One of them is, can you foster a loving relationship with the other parent?
0: And I think that's what every, every parent really needs to keep in mind, especially when you want to go toe-to-toe um with your ex about you know all these extracurricular activities and specific things that you want it's like if the kids happy with the other parent try to take a deep breath focus on your future let it go and just make sure your child's happy
1: yeah and then mm-hmm. some of the endangerment things might be driving drunk drug addiction suicide attempts in front of the child severe depression severe mental illness of course things like physical and sexual abuse they take very seriously especially if there's good evidence and by evidence it's usually a conviction or a criminal charge or some agency involved and Um, i and i do just want to say something
0: about that which um when i was in law school i had to deliver this to someone and it made me sick to my stomach but on the line of allegations of sexual abuse or child sexual abuse it like I said it makes me sick to
1: kind of say this but like you have to be sure you're never sure so it's so hard because I've done those cases in the criminal context and in a way you never know 100% but you have to have the convincing evidence you
0: have to be careful yeah Because some people, unfortunately, just use that as, you know, a means to get what they want in court. And they'll say, they'll throw whatever they can at the wall, hope something sticks. They don't care the severity of it. Um, So there are people that just abuse this process. And so if you're sitting there going and yelling abuse of every sort and you don't have any
1: evidence to back it up, it could backfire. And what I've experienced, which is actually even more disheartening, is every week I get a case where there's some sort of abuse of either the parent or the child or both, and they just don't have any evidence. It's so, yeah. And if there's no criminal charge and CPS closes the case and there's no hospital records, it's very common things aren't reported or you just don't know. I had, I mean, it is a bit uncomfortable maybe to hear but I had a run of cases like a lot of times a parent is putting sunblock on a little child they're at the other house one parent usually the mom is I think it's inappropriate touching maybe it was and then the other parents like no I was just giving her a bath or putting on sunblock maybe that's true and they really don't know there's a lot more on social media about
0: sexualizing a children and parental relationships with children unnecessarily um so like you know everyone is a social media star and you know an influencer these days and you'll get like uh, I think I saw like a fitness model and she's in a thong bikini she looks stunning and she's posing with her teenage boy or not boyfriend I'm sorry teenage son and everyone's up in arms about this because she's in a thong bikini and she's like how dare you sexualize this? I'm a fitness model, my kids are completely used to me walking around yeah. in thong bikinis, this is not inappropriate, <laughs> people go out in public in this. Like, how dare yeah. you sexualize
1: this when there's none of that anywhere? Yeah. So yeah yeah but then on the other hand it could be if you are an expert child molester maybe you probably do do things like oh i'm just putting some blocks, exactly. and you don't know and so the courts they can't do something called speculating which is guessing essentially without evidence so unfortunately if you don't have the evidence i tell my clients I'm not saying it's not a concern teach your child about stranger danger and sometimes you have to teach them these lessons with their own parent like don't get in a car with a drunk person even if it's your mom or your dad or you know no touching and it could be your mom or your dad or your cousin and all these things that we hate to have to tell clients but courts are not about speculating they do need the evidence I probably shouldn't say you never know for sure because I'm sure there's cases where there's an eyewitness Mm -hmm. and a camera or something, but it's very rare that you know for sure. But you should listen to your gut, but understand and listen to your lawyer when it's time for court because what you know is true and what you can prove may not be the same. There's something called hearsay, and that's an out-of-court statement offered for its truth. So if a child says something like, Daddy did this or Mommy did that, they're not in the courtroom saying it, that's hearsay. And so sometimes they'll tell it to a child family investigator. And we mention those words, CFI, child family investigator. How do they help kind of get that evidence in front of the
0: judge? So the child and family investigator, um, and this again, uh, good to plan before you jump into a divorce, or as soon as you jump into a, into a divorce or allocation of parental responsibilities, a CFI needs plenty of days, and that's usually including like ninety days or more to complete their investigation, write up a report, and get it to all the necessary parties, including the court. So you can't, you know, a day of be- a week before a hearing, go, no, 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 I really want a CFI to do this, like. You need to put thought into this. So first of all, the CFI will do, they will perform their own investigations. Um, So they will talk to the parents, Uh, they'll talk to the child if the child can verbalize, you know, what they want to say, or they'll just watch each parent interact with the kid. You know, kind of hang out the house, see how you play with them, how you speak to them. They will ask about the marriage. If you have witnesses that you want the CFI to speak to, um, they'll talk to those witnesses. Generally, that's like family members that have witnessed. And again, that's where hearsay comes in. You want, if you want the CFI to interview witnesses, you want someone that has witnessed specific behaviors or actions. Um, Not just, oh yes, well, Molly tells me this all the time. So it's totally true. That's not a good witness. Um, and they can also look at reports and documents. So let's say you have a horde of uh, police reports documenting every domestic violence call. Um, so they can look through those or if they have a criminal record or you know more of these allegations on sexual abuse. Um, so a CFI can do um, an investigation and then they'll submit what they recommend to the court. And the court has the you know authority and discretion to, follow the CFI as, you know, word for word verbatim as they recommend it or to, you know, change a couple things based on what's been presented at the permanent orders hearing at the end.
1: Is it your experience that the courts usually give a lot of weight to the CFI report or what do you think on that topic? I do, unfortunately and fortunately.
0: Um, I think Colorado is a bit short on really good CFIs these days. Um, again, yeah, the good
1: ones are always so busy you can't even get them right away.
0: Yeah, and, and you know the thing about, uh, well, the way the world works these days is everyone's business is on online and on the internet and we all work for reviews, Well in family law there's always one side that generally comes out pretty angry. Um, so And especially if you're implementing like a CFI or a PRE who has to almost choose sides in most situations. So a lot of the times they'll have terrible reviews because there's always an angry parent. Um, yeah, they're not going to necessarily please both of them. Right, they might
1: make both of them angry even. So their businesses, if well, you look on that, looks terrible. I know because I looked at one of the top CFIs who I think is just... Bar none, one of the best. And I saw they had bad review, like bad numbers on whatever it was, Google or Yelp or whatever. And I was thinking, this is just a consummate CFI who's top of that person's game. And yeah, because and your business someone's is getting swamped down. <laughs> my mom used to do home reviews, so I had a CFI in my case, and she was just appalled because she got a hundred dollars, and now I know it's. 28.50 for a CFI, but back then before they changed the law, it could be 10,000 for a CFI. <laughs> they, um, the Supreme Court issued a rule to cap the fee because a lot of lawyers were just doing CFI CFI. But I remember her telling me she had a client payer and they just put staples all over the check and the envelope because <laughs> they didn't like the report. Oh, jeez. I know. So she had to take out, like, 100 staples to cash the check for $100. And her reports were very thorough. She probably put 40 hours for $100. And now, a lot of them, I think they're putting 11 hours. So you're not going to get war and peace here. It's very quick.
0: Yes. So that's also, you know, when we say investigation, it sounds like all this stuff is being put into it. But, I mean, you're still looking at a snapshot of your life um, and your future's kind of being decided on that little snapshot that one third party is taking. So, I mean, it's a risk, It's but hopefully
1: it's a good risk. Um, yeah, but they have some yeah. insight sometimes, um, but it is quick. I think one of the advantages is forewarned is forearmed. So if you get a report and you have concerns, you have time to address it. Whereas if you just go to court and try to shortcut it and not pay that person, you have no idea what's coming out of the judge's mouth. You have this full on hearing. They're very good at playing their cards close to their chest so you don't know what they're thinking Mm -hmm. during the trial. And I think almost on purpose, they might not tell you which way they're going till the very end. Um, and everyone's just sitting there on the edge of their seats and there's nothing you can do about it. It's done, Yeah, you know, other than appeal, which is very expensive. Yes. Um, If it's a magistrate, which is, I say it's a judge for our purposes, but they have limited jurisdiction, limited cases they can hear. You can appeal to a district court judge a little bit more affordably, but once you're going to the court of appeals, that's very technical, very expensive, and most family law... um, litigants people who go to court just can't afford it or don't even want to spend the time and the odds are against you on any appeal that you're going to prevail or right there needs to be like a severe abuse of discretion by the judge
0: but not only that like not many attorneys do appeals like a lot of them specialize in it so the attorney you have throughout your case may not be the one that's going to be taking your appeal so it's like well you just put in you know, ten months of work with this attorney who knows like all the ins and outs of what's been happening and now you're getting a new attorney to do this appeal
1: that yeah, you're gonna be spending a yeah. ton of money it's on. It's just it's really stressful and, and it's it, I don't think people realize that it is the abusive discretion or error of law that affected the outcome, which in family law it's a court of equity. That means fairness. And so they have so much discretion to do what that judge on that day thought was fair. They're probably going to make smart decisions in their rulings on evidence because that's one way they can get reversed. So just let it in and then don't give it weight. That's their call. So appeals are hard to win. I have done a number of appeals to district court because that's to me just emotion and they're fun for me to do, oddly enough. I used to do appellate practice in a former life when I worked in another state, New York. I worked. Um, I haven't done the appeals in Colorado, not for unwillingness, but just the clients don't wanna pay that much. And I was saying 10,000 for an appeal. I was just talking to an attorney, she goes, that's very cheap for an appeal. And she's like, I don't think I could do my appeals at that price point. And so they're just expensive and very detailed. Right. And as you were saying, when you, you know,
0: it's good to have a CFI and getting your report early because you have a little bit of understanding of what you're going into at the hearing. But also, if you get a bad CFI report, you have the opportunity, like you said, to kind of address it. So you can always bring in a PRE. Yeah,
1: who's usually a psychologist and they have more education Mm -hmm. on the issues that the court's addressing. Um, They might do a more thorough report. So, for example, you will see a short report from someone who's a cfi and then they do a pre report and it's much more detailed mm-hmm. and they do a more thorough investigation and listen it's not a fun process but and it's, it's not cheap yeah but i do think that it does give a voice to the children it's a little more detail. I personally think there's a tendency right now trending toward 50-50 parenting in Colorado. That's my limited experience, and it may not be true. It's best interest of the child is the standard, and it's not supposed to be 50-50 or pro-mom, pro-dad. It's supposed to be based on the facts of your case. But unless there's a reason not to make it roughly equal, it seems like a lot of the judges and even CFIs trend toward joint decision-making, 50-50 a lot more than maybe um certainly the families weren't coming into the situation that way with 50-50 and I agree I feel like and I feel like that the thing to sway
0: 50-50 I mean it's really it's harm to a child it's not like oh well you know dad's a better parent than mom but it's just because the kid is getting slightly, you know, doing just a little bit better, has a little bit more access to things at dad's and then not so much at mom's. Like, that's not necessarily going to sway a court from giving 50-50. Right, yeah. Like, there needs to be, like,
1: harm. In or- a perfect world, if mom and dad lived right by each other, they're both really good parents, there's not a huge commute, Um, they're both available. I mean, I think it's great to have a strong relationship with both parents and equal parenting time. I And it, I almost have a sigh of relief when a client says, oh, we're both agreeing on 50-50 because it takes that issue off the table. It makes the case easier, yeah. cheaper, faster. But it's not always the right solution.
0: I have a friend, he uh, lives like, three houses down from his daughter's mom and they have this amazing co-parenting relationship, um, I think that's you know an amazing thing that you can really strive for. Um, it can't happen in every situation and I don't think that's the fault necessarily of parents. Sometimes you just can't get along with the other person. There's just too much emotion there. But um, I think that if you try to just keep it in your head to put your child first. Focus on you know your children and their happiness. I think like you can get to a reasonable balance with co-parenting that's not like at each other's throats constantly.
1: Yeah, that's really great. I think that's a good place to wrap it up. And even sometimes it's even parallel parenting where you might not be best friends or hang out, but they do their thing on their time, you do your thing on your time, and um, absent something. You know, sometimes it's just a geographical distance that it just doesn't make sense. If you live right. in different states, for example.
0: Right. And yeah, there's there's definite, you know, obstacles. And, you know, some parents are just, they just don't want to be the 50-50 parent. And again, that's not necessarily a bad thing. Um, if the other parent's willing to be more of a 50-50 parent, and that's the way that family functions
1: and, and yeah, and, and really works. it's not a contest. Like you don't win if you get more parenting right. time. That's another thing. I think that, um, so what? Like really, if you have a situation where maybe 1% travels for work and they have more weekend time and holiday time and summer time, or maybe they're just not really that into some of the t- day-to-day tasks of parenting, like getting the kids to school on time. So what? And it could be a mom or a dad. Mm -hmm. But I think there's almost like a shame involved. Like, nope, I want my 50-50 no matter what. And the kids, one thing that's agitating me of late, like it really is getting under my skin, is when the kids are in the car all the time because Mm -hmm. with the price of housing in Colorado, and by the way, this has become our number one issue. Um, people As can't. Someone who's looking for a house, I feel <laughs> that pain. <laughs> that, yeah, I'm sorry. <laughs> and it's just like you can't find anything. And so, like, one person's practically in Kansas and the other one's up in the mountains or one's in Colorado Springs and one's up by Fort Collins. And then they're like, we'll just find school in the middle. And then these poor little tykes are in the car all the time. And it's like, really? Can't we just get over it? And maybe the child can live with one parent and have a little more time. Does it really matter? Do you have to get a stopwatch to make sure it's equal because you don't want the other person to get the leg up? Or maybe just get over yourselves and say, this is a great school. I live far away. Who cares? We're going to have really great quality time when we're together. But no. It's just very rare. It's yeah. all about 50-50 these days and I almost wish I never heard those words. Because you really don't have to count overnight. You need to have your kids count on you. Right. Yeah, so. Ugh. And you know, and again with the housing market, I mean, great time
0: to sell people. So I mean, you could be buy a house and then three years later move again and then all of a sudden you're the one that's closer to the school yeah. and it switches. Um so yeah you're right I mean if a kid's thriving academically you know in a specific school like you don't need to throw a wrench in, in their study studies and their you know yeah. routine so you can have them Wednesday through Friday every other week
1: Yeah I think just every family like I said it takes a unique form I think of it almost like a tree like when you're a little kid you draw a tree it's a circle with a stick and then you draw a family and it's a bunch of stick people and they look exactly the same all the time. But then as you grow up, you're like, when you look at a tree, it never looks like that. It's asymmetrical, they're bizarre, They, but they're so gorgeous, but they're all unique. And that's how I see families. We don't fit a template. right? And we don't fit words like 50-50 or mom's rights or dad's rights. It's really focus on the kids. You can't go wrong if you do. You may have different points of view, compromise. And you're going to get through it. They're going to grow up. And for most of us, they'll be okay. And if not, get help immediately. If it's an emergency, get help immediately. And that's um, another point is just that you always have a right for an emergency motion or emergency relief to keep those kids safe. Right. And I think, you know, another thing that makes divorce so hard
0: is I think it's just that you're losing all your familiar support systems, So I think, you know, as soon as you feel yourself heading down that road, you really need to build up all of your other support systems. That's a great
1: truth and also one of the things the courts look at. Mm -hmm. What is your family support system? What's your social network? And I've even had, one time I said, um, I know they make it sound like family blood, but sometimes it's friends are your family and it went very well. Like the judge in um, different situations has agreed that friends can be family, so... Well, I think you just really did a good job of redirecting everyone's focus to kids, and and that's one of my favorite things about you is you have such a passion for children and their autonomy to the extent that it makes sense, but also protecting them to the extent that they really do count on us to look out for them. So now i'm going to go to the lawyer joke which i do every time and my lawyer joke for the day is there was a gathering that i was invited to bigfoot an alien easter bunny santa tooth fairy loch ness monster they were all gathering and they had some sort of society and i walked in and said what is going on here and they said um Well, we're the gathering of mythical creatures. And I was like, wow, that really blows my mind. And they go, what do you do? I said, oh, I'm an attorney, and they said, are you an honest attorney? I said, of course I am, and they voted me president, and I go, what's going on here? And they said, oh, no one believes in you either. (laughs) No one thinks you exist. So that's my joke of the day, and it's kind of a take on another one. But, um, yeah, I am the president of the Society of (laughs) Mythical Creatures because I really do endeavor to be very honest in my work and, and fight for kids, so that's my story i also wanted to talk about that hopefully we're getting some traction on um, doing an app and some um internship i won't really give out the details till it's confirmed to um try to give kids a better voice in family law issues apr or allocation of parental responsibilities is when you weren't married but you're going to court about the kids and then um divorce, as you know, you're married. And those are the two most common. And then what people don't realize is after the divorce or the APR permanent orders, you may go back to court to modify, so you're not done. I know when I got divorced, I thought I was, oh, that's done with the court, thank goodness. And then nope, you might go back to court to modify things or just even better reach agreements, which um, I think is always a good thing to do. So um, I just wanted to throw that out there And then maybe um, do our question for next week, which is overcomers. How do you use tragedy to find your best strengths? And I just wondered if you had anything to weigh in on people going through a rough time with divorce. How can you overcome some really hard things to find your best strengths for the next chapter of your life, maybe after a divorce or something? Do you have any input on that, Philadelphia?
0: Um. Well, I mean, my life has been affected in ways that have put me on this path myself. Um, So me personally, uh, I took offense. (laughs) (laughs) I took offense to the way things played out in certain areas of my life, and I never wanted um, anyone to feel that way again. Or at least I wanted people to have a voice and I wanted them to have autonomy, and I think that's really why I got um, focused with children. Um, But I think when you have such a strong experience in certain with certain op, whether overcoming obstacles or in certain settings you bring not only a, a, a perspective to it but you bring compassion um, and you know right along with your honest uh, attorney joke here uh, I think in family law it you have for attorneys especially there's a really quick burnout rate because it's so emotional and it's so tough and and we take home a lot of our clients trauma because divorce is hard. Um, so I think when you have that, you can really bring a gift to certain people. So um, I completely advocate for people who have been through tough situations and want to kind of use that to go forward in life. But um, depends on, I guess, your, your healing with it, whether or not you really want to devote your life to something in, in, in that type of trauma. But um, I think it's it's a really good thing when people can turn their
1: hardships into advocacy yeah I had someone tell me it's like a pot like a clay bowl and you just make it out of clay and you put it out in the rain it'll melt but then if you put it through a kiln and then you fire it and then now it's super power like you can put it out in any weather and it survives because there's a toughness that comes in going through hard times and being cured like that and for me like I definitely don't want to um Put too much detail about my own personal experiences, anything negative, but something that I think is fairly neutral is um, at some point I had to liquidate my retirement and sell my house at a loss. And it's hard to conceive of today, but at the time that was the right choice for me to live more simply. And I was very upset, but I had seen my clients take money out of retirement. And of course, you have a tax penalty to pay my legal bill or because they had a similar thing on their plate and i didn't like it but i felt like i joined them and then you speak with authority and that's just something one of many things i've gone through that i haven't liked but i don't even mention it but my clients they can just tell Mm -hmm. often they can tell what i've been through and i don't even have to mention it they can just see that i get it and that's my greatest gift. Like, I, It gives me so much pleasure when I can take bad things that happen to me and use them to help other people to the point now whenever something bad happens to me, I'm like, but I'm going to use it later. And it kind of helps me through mm-hmm. the struggle that I know I'll be able to use this to help someone else down the road. And I call it having the client experience that i'm going through what they went through whether it was i got subpoenaed to testify for my attorney's fees and i got on the stand i was having the client experience and it was harder than i thought not to act like a lawyer <laughs> on the stand i used to get pretty heated in mock trials as a witness <laughs> oh i lost my temper in our mock trial in law school and the judge <laughs> did me a huge favor. we all got mad and he called us up and he was a real judge and he told the four of us do not lose your temper ever, ever in court. And it was a, it was fake. We were just doing it for a grade. It wasn't even a real trial. And I took that to heart and I never have because I learned my lesson. I mean, I do get angry inside, but I, I, you hopefully can't tell. Yeah. And don't lose your cool like that. And he did us such a huge favor. Mm-hmm. Um, I have to always remind myself of that. Well, that's a bit, I mean, <laughs> I mean, I we won't go into
0: it, but I mean, that is a big thing. I mean, your presence and your, your actions and what you say in a courtroom as uh, a client or even as an attorney those have big
1: impacts to a judge so um, yeah and sometimes don't be and not and to here. laugh like sometimes the judge is oh, laughing yeah. and then they'll like give you a an knowing look and yeah. I'm trying to have a poker face and sometimes I'll just have to look over my shoulder because I don't want to be disrespectful of the process mm-hmm. but um yeah a lot of things happens it's kind of an interesting field to work in yeah family law is all about schooling your emotions in a lot of d- different ways whether you're the attorney you're the client you're or the judge. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They, they're they looking for you to be reasonable, not shoot for the fences and sound like you're completely unreasonable. Yeah,
0: I think a good way to look at Colorado law with family law is just, you know, you read the statute and that's what you focus on. If you're bringing emotion and all these different things into it, you're getting off track. And, in, yeah. and I mean, while that may play into portions of it, um, especially if there's like abuse or domestic violence or something along those lines, um, if your biggest issue is that you just don't like the other side then i mean yes you're not you're probably not going to get the outcome that you're you're
1: gunning for my one pointer on that topic is you have to portion your time and don't get mad if your attorney is spending a lot of time cross examining the other person that's actually less dangerous than when you're on the stand and you blurt something out mm-hmm. like i've had a harder time dealing with what my client blurted out on the stand than I ever have with what the other side <laughs> tried to say to be cocky on the stand because that usually doesn't go over very well mm-hmm. and they may be making a point that they don't realize they're making um but you just want to um give time to each topic like financial This is not a time for you to get up there and talk for a half hour about how horrible the other person is. It's a no fault state. That's already been decided that you're going your separate ways. Right. But don't forget the money part and talk about it and set aside time for it. Because a lot of times they just wanna get up there and you see it with people who don't have attorneys because no one's gonna tell them otherwise. And they just get up there and talk about what a horrible person they are and how they were not treated well in their marriage and maybe emotional abuse and all these things. And then, oh, did you mention how much debt you have? Did you mention the equity you want to get out of the house? Did you talk about your incomes? Those things are really important. So um, you keep the focus. And, of course, above all, focus on those kids. And the judges can tell. Absolutely. Yeah. In fact, I remember saying, like, I almost always remember mentioning the children, and I can almost see the judge's face change.
0: Yes, um, I agree. I feel like as soon as um, an attorney brings up the kids and even puts them over um, the parties,
1: that you'll see the judge completely like change, like. Mm-hmm. Physically, too. I think, like, I mean, I don't think it's really anything personal about a case, but I think you were there when that judge said, okay, so if you're here for the child, what do you think's best for the child, Ms. Anderson? Mm -hmm. And I was kind of like, oh, yeah, I do have an opinion on that because it's really important. In fact, I just had an issue come up today on a case, and I was like even if my client agreed to that i don't think i would because i don't think that is a good idea and the other attorney said oh yeah 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 i hear what you're saying you know mm-hmm. like you 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 have to think there are children involved and And you want to agree on things that are in their best interest and we as attorneys are allowed to redirect the focus to the children because that's what the law requires right i love that about the law there's at least something i like about the way the laws are written (laughs) and that's one of them for sure so before we wrap up i just wanted to get your contact information how people can get in touch with you sure um so if anyone has a question you can email me at
0: philadelphia it's spelled just like the city You better
1: spell it, because I'm here to tell you. (laughs) I know. No one in Colorado can spell it.
0: P-H-I-L-A-D-E-L-P-H-I-A. Thank you. (laughs) D, as in Danielle, George, G-E-O-R-G-E. LLC at gmail.com. I know it's a long one, but Philadelphia <laughs> D George it. it's like LLC the city. at gmail.com.
1: Yes. Yeah, city of Brotherly um, Love.
0: <laughs> yeah, so um I'm in a limbo stage at the moment. I'm studying for the bar, um, but I have plenty of contact with attorneys and can get anyone
1: in the right direction. Um so yes, contact me if you need. That's great. And I'm Anderson Law PC with an E for excellent, and it's Anderson Law PC. Our website is Beth Lynn Anderson with an E again, JD like jurisdoctorate.com. And believe it or not, I give out my cell phone. It's 303 808 4794. You can call or text me anytime, and I will get back to you as soon as I can. That's my personal cell phone. So far, so good. Giving it out for many years. Also, our office. Phone number in Littleton is 720-922-3880. We're in the Ken Carroll area of Littleton. We also have a satellite office up in Evergreen, Colorado, and um, we would be more than happy to give you a free consult and get you in the right direction, because as I mentioned, families change form over time, but you're not just breaking up, you're breaking upward. Thank you.